Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Empathic Futures Lab podcast, the show about human-focused futures for the environment in which we live. I'm Chris. I'm Christian. I'm, and t- I'm Coulter. All right, yeah. Coulter's, <laughs> Coulter's back with us. Coulter was dragged here kicking and screaming through the violent, thrashing winds that is Champaign-Urbana right now. Dude, it's like 30-mile-an-hour winds here, too. My car door almost fell off. Why wow. I have to get a haircut today. Oh, snap. It's like... I think it was 2 a.m. last night, and I was like, I'm in a like 100-year-old building, and I keep having this like recurring nightmare that my windows just like explode open, with, like, <laughs> gust of wind. You know, you could do that in an augmented reality environment that, yeah, without the somewhere. repercussions, without the repercussions of of glass tearing apart your body into into tons of little pieces. I feel like that that feeling is kind of essential to the experience, though. You might in a world where you can experience exploding glass without getting hurt is one i don't want to be a part of well you might be able to like simulate the pain without the physical permanence yeah, of the they damage have these, they have these pregnancy belly things like i'm sure there's a way to do it yeah and just like stimulate the nerve the pain nerve centers of your body without actually bleeding out on the floor are you guys ready for a really weird idea yeah go you for it we're talking last week about <laughs> uh, this sort of mountain overlaid on a building and how there would be kind of um incongruencies between the augmented reality world and the uh, the real one this yeah. is chris's idea right so chris you like stub your toe on a table that's not there in, in ar the right. idea of mirror world is where there's like a good relationship between those two so imagine this um there, dun, dun, dun. there are no real buildings anymore they're just digital ones but if you try to phase through a digital wall it hurts a lot <laughs> <laughs> you just sort of train people to accept it's the like kind of the digital limits. It's like space. the electric fence for dogs. Yeah, but what happens when it rains and you're inside a digital building? Um, it also hurts. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what does the rain need to hurt? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, suppose I'm in my apartment, but I'm actually just like on the ground on the street, but I have a visual that I'm in my apartment and it starts to rain. That'd be kind of sad. Or maybe you're just in a giant Amazon warehouse. Ah. Uh. Yeah. Uh, everything's just a gigantic and, and it's unlit completely dark inside dark warehouse air conditions with like outlets for utilities and then you just sort of imagine the rest with your your headset yeah but that's yeah. totally that, so so that is definitely moving into virtual reality right all of that what's well, a mirror world it's just a really bad one <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like if, if it's like a uh, ar and vr had an awkward child that's what you yeah, get. so I guess I'm, that brings up a good point that I don't know if we talked about. Like, do you do you eventually just move into does it does AR slowly tend towards VR as people begin to realize that architecture is all just pointless anyway, and if you can make it digitally, what's the point? I hope not. So, yeah, there was a, another concept I saw where I guess it was some research at a university where. They were like kind of bending and overlapping space in VR, such that you could like explore a two meter by two meter square indefinitely, where you could oh. like build build a house into a two meter by two meter square, where like you just sort of walk around and your vision's warping in a way such that you're always kind of emerging into new spaces. <laughs> so, I think this showed up in the the second three body problem block or the third one. There's the third one. I don't remember. Oh, well, they, they were like contained in a yeah, 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 in yeah. universe and they could just keep looping back. On yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, honestly, for me, like 
my apartment is small and compact. If I could kind of have this sense of changing rooms and changing my my sense of place within a dwelling without yeah. actually exiting the dwelling or having a giant mansion, I might actually do that. That would you know? be kind of cool. So, like, suppose you have two rooms or something, and every time you just cross through this door threshold, it seems like you're somewhere completely different, even right. though you've just walked three feet. I, I realized something while you guys were talking about this. I think that's why my guinea pig constantly rearranges his cage. <laughs> we need guinea pig AR. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine this trapping augmented reality to an animal? <laughs> so, like, one thing I think uh, is that's cool. applicable to that idea is, um, like, with student housing, you often have, like, a, or think of, like, a housing. studio apartment. Yeah. Student housing. Housing. housing? What? Housing? Housing. Housing? Okay, anyway. I'm from the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> you you often have to have your kind of like workspace and your desk in your bedroom. Oh, I find it like kind of hard and awkward to work in the place I sleep or to separate work from leisure, right? Sleep and rest. So I can imagine an AR situation where you kind of like walk into your closet or you take a ninety degree turn and your bed's gone and suddenly you're in a work environment. And you can right. Feel that's like the coffee shop effect we talked about, except it's digital. Yeah. Just, that would be so cool. And I would actually get work done in my apartment at my desktop, as opposed to having to go sit at Collectivo for three hours in so, the morning. So something that you can bring up with that discussion is the notion like you have to, like, if it's not connected to a change in terms of time. Um, so like, I'm going to a coffee shop. Excuse me. I just burped. Um, and it's, I know that it's supposed to take me 20 minutes to get to the coffee shop, but if I am able to spin around 180 and now I'm in a coffee shop, is is that super disassociative? I don't know. Is that like is that what people talk about in the future when they talk about teleportation devices? Um, oh, I don't know. I think, I, don't know. Like up to I think it's up to them because right now our technology is so bad. Obviously, it's it's a bad experience, but like if it were a good simulacra of reality like you might accept it in a pinch right maybe then there's like layers of like oh you know do you have a synthetic version of reality or you are are you are you getting the real authentic premium one yeah what yeah. do they even mean well so it, like you splurge it, to get the premium reality otherwise you accept it, kind of simulated reality. splurge to get physical coffee shop right. well <laughs> but it doesn't even have to be like super immersive right isn't there isn't there an idea or is it a thing that Certain vi- if you have like certain visual or sound cues, like it can reframe your mind. So really, all you have to do is like save certain visual cues for just the time you're working. Yeah. Even if it's only like half the room. Yeah, you could just make your bed disappear. You don't have to like create the rest of the office. Yeah. Or like the ceiling changes or something like that. Yeah, your bed turns into a storage cabinet in your in your eyes. It's like or maybe a, like your bedroom turns into a dojo and you can meditate. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, it'd be like a high-tech Murphy bed. Yeah, digital Murphy bed. I think. That, no, no, let me write that down. <laughs> that's a competition entry right there. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the only reason we're doing this podcast, is come up with really bad ideas that we can spend <laughs> $20 on. What's the opposite <laughs> of a million-dollar idea? Uh, <laughs> the penny idea? I don't know, that's great. That's really um, great. Okay. It's like a penny idea. 
the your pig pen idea, virtual pig virtual pen. Virtual pig pen. <laughs> <laughs> Bad is more interesting than good, that's for sure. Yeah, it's more yeah, fun than well, good anyway. That's why we we love AI right now because AI is really bad, and it's fun to watch it be bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stumble around. Yeah. America's funniest AI. <laughs> what, oh, that's that's another one. We gotta make that. We gotta make that happen. Watch this Tesla careen off the highway. It's so <laughs> dumb. <laughs> all right, now you're scaring all the people who have to live in like Phoenix, where they actually have self-driving cars. Uh, uh, they uh, only have self-driving cars in Phoenix because there's nothing to hit. Yeah, that's probably. <laughs> there's no weather. <laughs> that's, that's probably true. It sucks for all the people in Pittsburgh where they have things to hit and. And self-driving cars. They have mountain buildings in Pittsburgh. And and weather. Unfortunately. What would be the dumbest thing to make self-driving? A grocery cart that follows you around the, the grocery store? <laughs> I don't know. That'd be pretty cool. Sometimes it is useful to have two hands. Can you imagine seeing a parent with a self-driving stroller? I think that already exists. I know I've seen a Kickstarter video for that. Because <laughs> you're, you're a healthy mom and you want to go jogging. <laughs> oh and this gosh. stroller is going to follow behind you while you're jogging. Until it hits a crack and the child goes flying. Well, I don't think it succeeded, but I definitely saw a Kickstarter video. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't remember if it went in front of you or I think it went behind you. That's, that's well, a little problem. It would probably have to go behind you because it has to follow you. And if yeah. it's in front of you, it can't follow you. Maybe you follow it. Maybe uh, the baby's in charge. Oh, well, that's even scarier. Running behind your digital stroller. What about, yeah, what, that brings up a good point. What at what point is it, do you think children, like, the, the notion that uh, technology executives, like Facebook and whoever else, don't want their children exposed to social media, is there, is there like a reasonable cutoff point for, for people to be exposed to uh, AR environments? Or should it just be natural? Should it be everywhere? I feel like what we need to do is we need like a double blind, not double blind study, but we, we need like a sort of twin study where we like have one child is born and like they don't touch AR till they're 20. And then we have one that they're just born and they're just thrust into AR as soon as they're born. And then we, we measure their brains, how heavy they are. And we see. Wait, so how do you measure how heavy their brains are? No, no, just a turn of phrase. Okay, I just invented. Uh, you like do you do wellness studies? Um, no, no, you I study their social abilities. I was serious. How do you measure how heavy their brains are? Oh, the joke would be you have to remove the brain to, to figure out which one is a better person. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it'd be unreasonable to start them off on AR relatively early, supposing that you can prove there's no downside to their eyesight or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, if we look at ourselves as examples, like we're, we're quote unquote digital natives, but I didn't really use the internet until I was in middle school. I didn't have a smartphone until I was almost in college. Yeah. So yeah. it was college for both pretty much. Yeah. So we, we, we can't even really consider ourselves as part of this sort of true digital native culture. No, no, no. I definitely don't. I definitely it's, it's, like, up. right. You have to call your friend's home phone number. Like, yep. Remember that. I think I know more phone numbers from before I was, like, still right now, probably know f more phone numbers from, like, when I was 12 than I do from the last 10 years of my life. 
When I was a child, I only had two friends because I could only remember two phone numbers. Well, that's, that's kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I just thought it was funny. Like, kids now can have like a million bajillion friends on Instagram, but no real ones. Like, now, yeah. You don't have that like influence of space as much. I, I know my mom's cell phone number. I don't know my dad's cell phone number because he's changed it within the last five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know my parents or my sister or yeah anyone else's phone number for that matter. Yeah, that's kind of scary. Uh, anyway, before we started this, Coulter, you were going to go into some spiel about something. And then we cut oh. you off to start the episode and then never got back to it. Yeah, so I mean, if we... we kind of uh, curtailed back into architecture from whatever space we were previously in. Um, Measuring brains. Yeah, throughout my uh, architecture education, there's always been a tension between the people who kind of design digitally with digital models, um, the people who kind of uh, design through drawing, things like plans or perspectives, and the people who are physically modeling. And obviously the the professors are are advocates for the, the analog system. Um, and how it helps you see and perceive what you're designing differently. Mm-hmm. Um, now, certainly, I am someone who, as soon as I started architecture studies, I was using digital tools. So they're about as comfortable to me as physically modeling. And even if I'm prompted to design through physical modeling, my my itch is always to return to the digital space because I kind of see the benefits of the speed and cheapness, I guess, of working through digital model. And then I produce a physical model at the end to represent the digital model. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that kind of workflow is very typical of students my age. But I'm currently in a special Plin studio with a visiting lecturer, uh, Gong Dong of Vector Architects. And he's kind of resurrecting the Henry Plummer era, like 90s, 80s style physical modeling, designing through modeling. Great models. I have yeah, no so, idea who Henry Plummer is. I'll send you some pictures of the models. Yeah. Okay. Good professor. So really throughout this semester, working through this process, I'm still doing things digitally, but I'm doing far more drawing and far more physical modeling. Um, I've been thinking about two things. I've been thinking a lot about the divide between the digital and the physical in terms of aesthetics, especially the aesthetics of what you're working through to design. So digital tools versus physical tools. And then context was the next one. But to focus in on the, the digital, one thing that I ultimately come to the, the conclusion of is that like the physical, when you're physically modeling something out of like foam and mat board and things by hand, like it's allowed to be kind of fuzzy and indeterminate. Like at that stage of design, when you're doing things physically, when you're blocking things out and massing, those blocks, like they don't ask questions of specificity as much as a digital model does. Right. Because like when you want to make a block in Rhino, it immediately asks how tall is that block? Right. So you're kind of confronted by these questions of precision at every stage. And I think it's very hard to, when you're engaged with a digital model, like see past that and towards a sort of fuzzy understanding. Rivet's even worse. Yeah, obviously. Like when you draw a line on a page at a certain scale, like that line has thickness in the space it's representing. It's like if you drew a line on a map of America, that line would have a corresponding thickness on the real right. continent that's like, you know, 50 miles wide. Right. But when you draw a line on a digital map of America, that line is infinitely thin all the time. It's like the idea of a line. And I think that 
that that concept is called speltness. Uh, what speltness? That's with, with the V. Yes, SV, um, and it relates to like the aesthetics of precision, uh, simplicity, and complexity. And so, like something that is sleek and thin is spelt. Um, spelt, nice. And I think like the digital aesthetic right now is kind of stuck in speltness, where like everything has to be precise. And I want the digital to be more like clay or foam, where you're not sort of confronted by like kind of questions of precision and speltness that normal interfaces ask of you. But you're not using things like uh, Maya and uh, sculpting tools like ZBrush and stuff like right. that, where where it is just uh, productions that you're doing it in, in sort of actions and not necessarily specificity in, in what those actions are. That's true. I just feel like when it comes to like digital architecture, we don't have many tools that carry over the imprecision of analog media, and that could be something that makes it better for design. And that also connects to this vision of like augmented reality in the future. I feel like you would need a sort of aesthetic of indeterminacy to make it human, right? Mm. Like right now, we have, like if you, if you look at any web page, it's ultra spelled, right? right? It's, everything is gridded, everything is super clear and thin. Right. But they I, have drop shadows. Drop shadows, yes, but everything's made out of paper, and that, that's the metaphor. Yeah. So okay. I think, as a research project, it would be interesting. I would be interested in exploring this like post spell aesthetic. There's actually a video game I'm very intensely interested in called uh, Dreams by Media Molecule. It's like a creative space where you can sculpt, code, create games and animations in 3D space in VR or with uh, I think a PlayStation controller. Hmm. Um, and they did a lot of work with how the game renders its geometry mm. to create it kind of indeterminacy to get that sort of clay-like or fuzzy appearance so that as you're creating it, it never asks you the kind of questions that a true modeling program would ask. Weird. And I think that one, that application does not get as like that much uh, interest at the moment. But I think like that when I think about like the future of how interfaces look, I definitely like look at what they're doing, and I think like I, I wish my tools are a bit more like that, at least at the the starting stage. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's definitely true that that's why we start sketching as opposed to getting into Rhino immediately. Though I've always felt frustrated if Rhino, like if things weren't super exact. Like I've always, even trying Mayan or or uh, what are those Z tools that right? That's what they're called. Where you like kind of just push and pull. Zebra, whatever you're like pushing and pulling on meshes, I've always I was always super frustrated with that. But maybe that was because it's later in the design process where I actually got digital and cared more about the precision. But that was always super frustrating. Yeah, I fell in love with the light table after doing a competition. There, there are these huge light tables in the architecture studios, grad studios. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they're fluorescent lights, so they're they hurt your eyes to look at. But I really fell in love with just placing a site plan on that and just drawing iterations. Yeah. It, sketch iterations on top of that i used to have to rig up my own so i'd take a side table like the one i've got here with a piece of glass turn it uh the table that i had was, was solid on top but then i'd take a piece of glass and put it on the side and, and throw the light whatever light i had underneath it uh to draw yeah well it basically just turns everything into trace paper right yeah That's essentially what you're doing well okay um, so oh go ahead so there was uh, something that you 
you brought up, and I wanted to kind of circle that back to the thought about who should be exposed and how how people should be exposed to this stuff. And the way the way that you were describing a an augmented reality future that might be more fuzzy or more um, indeterminate, <clears throat> that kind of got me thinking. Like, if if that's the case, if it's quote unquote more human. Is it is it more acceptable for for exposure long term, or um, and how you uh, allow people to to kind of interact with it? Because I I almost think like when you grew up playing video games, it's like oh you can you you can have two hours after you finish all your homework or whatever. Um, should it be the same sort of place that you go into, or something that you're always exposed to? Kevin Kelly brought up that in Mirror Worlds, that whole thing about visual literacy and we'll be able to do this just as well as we can write or practice grammar or whatnot. But so like if that's truly as important as it is, and I'm going to make the assumption, and you can tell me if this is reasonable or not, that if if we are at the point where there's like a certain amount of visual literacy required to get through in the world, that there would need to be a certain amount of practice for us to get to that point. And in order for us to practice enough similar to drawing, there would have to be some sort of, I don't know, what do you, what do you want to call it? Post-svelte version of 3D modeling that people grow up and like model with clay, similar to drawing with pen and, or like just writing words and kind of getting the spelling wrong and figuring all that out, right? Like if you're going to start 3D modeling to the point of literacy, you have to get it wrong and- Can't hand them AutoCAD. Right. Let's say, draw me a teddy bear. Right. There would have to be some like modeling clay equivalent already in AR, which probably fairly reasonable to assume that that's. It's like it's the Microsoft Paint. Yeah. Which, yeah. And, yeah. Take over. Right. Or the Microsoft Word or something like that. Of, yeah. Of, yeah. I just I feel like most of the tools that even attempt this sort of clay modeling are not sufficient yet. I mean, like we have like a really long way to go before it has true well, clarity. Well, that's. I, was I gonna... think that's where a sorry. Go for it. I think that's where AR starts making a lot of sense because it can be a lot more gestural. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you start tracking hand movements and you can quite literally shape digital clay, yeah. uh, in in a way that becomes I don't know like you're just trying to handwrite words for the first time and can't get the letters straight. Yeah, we need the finger painting of augmented reality. Yeah, exactly. The finger painting, <laughs> the crayon, the crayon drawings on the wall that you know aren't permanent and your parents don't get mad at you for it. I mean, that, that's what brings up a really, really great point, though, is because you have all these tools that are dedicated towards a, an analog finessing, fine-tuning of hand, right? Yeah. Where we had to do cursive, uh, and you had to, like, write perfectly on this line, and, and you have to contain your coloring within within the lines. Yeah, color by number. So, so it's interesting to think about what the equivalence of that might be in the future where these artifacts that you, as, as a four-year-old, you make for your parent to put on the fridge or whatever, end up having more significant, can have potential more significance uh, within within the world that people see, at least. Right, and then, then your whole argument about do you only get two hours after you finish your homework becomes kind of moot because it becomes like a unique, actual, useful skill in real but, life. Yeah, so the question, like, it's basically language at that point. Right, it's basically language. And we'll, here's another question, is like, you know, these tools to be creative at 
I mean, if we think about like pen and paper and clay and stuff, like these have existed for quite a while, but only a certain subset of people like engage with it. And so if these tools exist in the future, will there be people who are quote unquote creative with it and other people who are more passive and receiving yeah. of content? Will that relationship still exist in the future or will we all be a sort of creative class? Right. Well, I wonder if it'd be sort of like writing where everyone is literate, everyone can write and create words and and put together sentences and thoughts, but some people are poets and some people are authors and, and do that sort of more long form professionally. Right, which that that writing in, in terms of some people can write and some people can do it professionally and some people do social media, mm-hmm. right? So I wouldn't be surprised if there is a heavy emphasis on like a social media version of what could be a new visual language. Oh, geez. I'm just imagining like 3D modeled memes now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've seen, there's, there's all these funny videos out there which do unexpected things with like human form and like squishy faces and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, you know, I imagine things like that would be the norm. Yeah. I feel like also, like one thing that makes sense to me right now is you have like pixel art is a style and low poly art is a style for video games yeah where it's like easier really well done and, and it's really well done but i almost want to imagine like a kind of resolution which corresponds to fuzziness that you can crank up or down when you're doing digital modeling so maybe like i'm imagining you could like basically take a mug in front of you and you can get a digital model of that mug yeah. but then you can increase or decrease its sort of resolution in 3d space to make it more or less sort of clay like and huh. easy to sculpt if you were like trying to redesign your bug yeah you'd like have a bunch of starting points to be able to do that already well that's that's what makes a lot of sense it's like because what you're getting at is is the notion that every object that you own consume or whatever is 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 part of this augmented reality world where where you can actively manipulate those parameters so instead of being invaded with with a bunch of ads or whatever the notion that you have a higher level of control over the environment if desired, right? Um, I think that's really interesting. So you can kind of manipulate the way you see everything from uh, the books you interact with, or like we have these these cans of sparkling water right here. If I could, if I could start um, making like a more ergonomic version of this can or something. Right. Okay. Here, here's something. So. It can so, be more sustainable too, because the design just has to meet minimum standards. Yeah. Okay. So, so I was reading at one point. I don't know. I want to say a year or two ago, uh, Fast Company had this two articles mini series on design thinking, and it was basically like one person. I don't remember what company they worked for. Was kind of this. I am in favor of design thinking. I think it's good for the design profession. And then another person was talking about how they think it's kind of this weird unfortunate dumbing down of the design process uh, that is kind of just commercialized and sent out to companies in the form of you can design also kind of thinking. Uh, and, and and I think both have merit and are good arguments for it. I, I tended to agree with the person who was talking more in, along the lines of design thinking is good. So one thing they brought up in favor of design thinking was that design thinking allows, it's like a democratization of the design process and, and kind of allows other people to use design words in their everyday language so that they kind of understand how to talk to designers, understand what the value of design is better because it's part of their language. 
sort of similar to how web or uh, coding and developer languages computer programming has kind of become widespread and that everyone can take an online class for free everyone kind of understands the meaning of like the beta version the alpha version the like production version whatnot it's like it's it's a little more widespread than like a design language would be right so if everyone then if, if you follow this logic through and the idea is that if everyone understands that everyone speaks this language then the value of that becomes more apparent then if everyone's here shaping things in 3D, does the value of like industrial design, the value of architecture start to become more apparent and people realize, oh, this is like hard to do. You can't just pop this out quickly. I, I would imagine it would kind of work like how the influencers are within social media or I know we've talked about like downloading or working with the, like a subscription service for premium design or whatever. So where you would have the ability to kind of manipulate and do things on your own, potentially, is, is there like a certain set of individuals that achieve like a fame status for, uh, for their work and uh, have a set of designs or whatever they're subscribed to? Well, I mean, that's just architecture firms and design firms, right? It's like kind of the idea of that. But no, I'm just talking I, about I, in terms I, of I like... you could do a much different business model, though. Yeah, sure. But I'm just I'm just talking about in terms of does an everyday person start to understand the effort and work that goes into actually producing something as opposed to right now it's like I don't really know what you guys do behind closed doors and how you arrive to a design, you know what I'm saying? I think that that's such a big question. It's hard to even approach it. It's like a whole separate topic of like. Well, here's here's one way I think about it. There there are these magicians, uh, Penn and Teller. And I think uh, Pendulet was on a podcast and he was talking about the secret of magic. Yeah. Was basically hiding the amount of time it takes to learn a trick. So he, his example was like a very simple like sleight of hand trick and he'd ask an average person, how much time do you think it, it took to, to perform this trick? And the average person would say 50 hours. An average magician would say 500 hours and uh, Pendulet is obviously like, this actually took 5,000 hours of practice to, to make it work. Right. And um, I think that aspect also applies to architecture and industrial design where, you know, it's magic because nobody, like it just sort of happens miraculously and no one even really knows how it's done. Yeah. And if you give people the tools to kind of approximate it, maybe they'll appreciate the, the thought or the type of thought or the time that goes into trying to do that. Yeah. I mean, we have Squarespace for websites, right? And, and the reality is there's, people don't even realize how much time and effort goes into making a Squarespace template work. Yeah, that's true. And and all of the all of the background work that goes into that. Right, and then to, to push that off and even further into a, a completely bespoke website is, is I'm not, something yeah, else entirely. I'm not, uh, I'm not terribly convinced that people value coding more because of the ability to do it online. Uh, through a democratized way. Right. You're, I mean, I suppose you're probably right, but in terms of like understanding it better because you can understand some of the language or or kind of have seen it in action, you know, that seems to have some merit to me. Just because you can see it and you'd be like, wow, I'm looking at all this and I would never in a million years understand it because you just kind of have some aspect of what it looks like. Versus if you're drawing a floor plan and extruding shapes, you're like, oh, I can draw buildings that shape. I can draw blocks like that. I, think a good I can extrude that. 
cooking is a good example where like everyone cooks and we there's like a huge industry around restaurants fine dining and things like that yeah because you go home and you try and do it yourself and you're like wow this is completely different yeah. <laughs> and you suck <laughs> <laughs> like oh that looks so simple it's just chicken with lemon and you're like oh wait the texture is wrong oh wait there's too much lemon oh, the chicken cuts wrong but in that line too like cooking is very essential to living like you need to you need to cook or have someone cook for you but i'm having a hard time imagining a world where 3d modeling is actually essential mm-hmm. to everyone well so i do think there, there's like a creative class but i don't even know like what level of literacy people need like the level of literacy i'm imagining is like they teach you how to read charts and graphs in school elementary school and middle school what have you and that's like your science literacy but like they don't actually really teach you how to do science true right you just need to understand like be able to apprehend the results of science in a way yeah well okay so what about so there's this idea and i was thinking about this when you're talking about uh sveltness and precision and if you get too precise do you start to hit things like the whole uncanny valley i thing where like if it if it's like almost there but it's not quite there like this near miss so like if you're if you're doing all these like digital overlays and all of a sudden you have these people who are just like slightly too slightly not good enough then all then you kind of start to value like oh this guy knows what he's doing when i he puts some content out there about for me to overlay onto the world or like if i'm if i'm like drawing my own stuff where i say i just want to see something like i feel like to that i imagine in a future where augmented reality is that powerful to just place objects in your room like you'd be able to have artificial intelligences like sculpt your bad clay face into a realistic looking one that is like the realistic version of what you made so i feel like uncanny valley is really a choice at that at that stage in the technology yeah you're probably right about the ai thing didn't even think of that well i don't like this feature there's no place for me in it no (laughs) i think I, I am kind of struggling to really understand exactly how do we get here <laughs> uh, to this to this degree of future being this thing that people are I don't know see I'm, I might want to backtrack I don't know if people are going to find that much engagement in without, in, in AR environments or like to yeah. Because I mean, what the way I because we've discussed this notion that like the AR future is super ingrained in advertisement and, and grabbing your attention. Right. And this is sort of the opposite end of the spectrum. Like that's the negative, pessimistic version. And maybe this is a slightly less pessimistic version where the AR future is is sort of with how you can manipulate your own space and, and all that jazz. And I'm not, I'm not certain that it's, it's probably somewhere more in between. I don't know where exactly I'm going with that. Yeah, this feature could also be like way further away than we think, you know, like VR today is kind of bad, in my opinion. It kind of like has a boom and bust cycle like every 10 to 20 years. So like there was like a boom cycle in the 80s, late 90s, now in the 2010s. And I think we're almost hitting a bust for it again. Uh-huh. And I got to wonder, like, if companies are starting to ramp down their research into VR and AR technologies, if all this VC money, like, doesn't go into a viable product and it gets shelved for another 20 years, like, 
you know, who funds all of the interstitial steps to get you to good AR or VR? If it's, it's built on the backs of a lot of failures. Exactly. So it, I, I, I have a feeling that unless, because like right now the media is really, I don't want to say biased, but I think they're aware that you need people to buy these headsets if this is going to work out as an industry. Right. So I think a lot of the press around AR and VR technologies, like they're like, oh, this is really nice, but it's definitely not ever what you're promised in terms of usefulness. Hmm. But unless you get a sort of investment despite its quality, there will never actually be good software developed for it. You'll never get a good headset. Now, the other aspect for this VR, AR revolution today, it really is a result of the smartphone revolution. So someone was able to take uh, a bunch of smartphone components, like one of these compact screens, and just put sensors in it and put it up to his face and look through lenses, you know. And the reason why this accelerated so fast was because the smartphone basically paid for all of the components that go into a VR headset, subsidized it. And now that basically the headset is as good as current day phone technologies are, and the phones that people don't care about 16K screens on their phones, right? The VR headset companies are going to have to fund the research into higher and higher pixel density screens which is much harder than when all the smartphone companies were doing that too. Yeah. Well, I think there's there's already, at least as far as what I've read, and by as far as what I've read, it's like marketing material and essays from Magic Leap and then this Mirror World thing where Kevin Kelly researched like, or, or referenced how companies like Microsoft are kind of enterprising this, this technology and putting it into the workforce and into factories and things. Uh, but I guess where I'm where I'm going with this is I don't, I don't know if this needs to be a widespread social phenomenon off the bat. Like I think it's fine that it becomes an educational phenomenon or a or a workplace phenomenon initially, and and it's it's those companies have VR headsets and it's almost like tethered or linked linked to where you work or where you learn, and you don't take it home with you or you don't take it on the streets with you. Like, that's probably a good enough, at least starting point, to figure out the uses for this and what that future looks like. The other thing is, I think... What, I think, I I think hope that happens. Yeah. yeah. I well, think that's more realistic. And, and think about how much money has been pumped into Magic Leap already. Like, They already have technology, at least from reports that I've heard, that when you put on the glasses, things appear in front of other things and block your vision of them, right? Like you could put a tree in a room and it blocks the person who's behind the tree, even though the tree is digital. Um, I also heard it's like looking through a postage stamp. <laughs> what does that even mean? Like it's super cropped. Like yeah, super cropped in. Oh, I see. You don't get like right now. Field of view is a bit like field of view is what actually immerses you. Right. The VR headsets are are getting into good field of view territory, but with AR headsets, like they're way way further out. Yeah. In terms of like, and when they say looking through a postage stamp, imagine holding a postage stamp in front of your face, and all. All this augmented reality stuff just happening in this tiny yeah. little stamp in front of you. Yeah, I think I read that in like a game review or something. Yeah. Something similar. Yeah, and I think to your point, Chris, I think you're right. Is if that if that's where it's at, and that's where the companies that have the most money are at right now, then it's going to be dead in the water. Because look at what um, at least everything that Magic Leap says that they're trying to do doesn't have a whole lot of practical use. 
But that's the thing, is it doesn't need to have a whole lot of practical use. It needs to have kind of niche use that sort of expands from there, right? I, I thought, you know... Well, that's what I'm saying, is, like, they're looking at weird games. But oh, there's a hole in my wall, and buds are coming through, and i got to shoot them. Yeah. yeah, but it's not like that. It's also there. I, I, I think there's very easy low-hanging fruit in terms of educational purposes to this, and yeah. for schools, okay. right? Or what for... Uh, fund research for useful software... But I think the I think the hardware should be cheap. So cheap hardware is one thing that's really in the VR VR camps benefit is again it's like a smartphone smartphone components in a different case. Mm-hmm. With AR you have all this specialized technology, and so I think uh, the Microsoft headset is like more than a thousand dollars. Yeah, I think so. Hollow lens. Yeah. yeah. I think I think aren't both Hollow lens and Magic Leap's headset? Oh, I think they're both over a thousand. I didn't know you could buy them. Yeah, well, you can buy the HoloLens. Oh, there's a second version of the HoloLens, too. $3,500 mixed reality headset for the factory. Yeah, and this is like the first Tesla where it's like a premium product. Yeah. But they're already being used for, like, actual things on the workforce, right? In terms of, like, training people or in terms of educating people on topics. Well, yeah, so that's like... That's how Microsoft's one, I feel like, has always been marketed as a productivity tool. But that's what everything Microsoft does as a market is as a productivity tool at this point. It shouldn't be a... and, then, and then Magic Leap is like branding as a joke. A new religion. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like a text chat or um, or a weird game with ants coming out of your walls. Yeah, but... Isn't a whale that's sitting next to you? Think about think about how the iPhone started, right? It, like what? It's some weird. It is kind of like this baby of Blackberries, which basically only business people used, and then the iPod Touch, which was like an evolution of the iPod, right? Like yeah. they, it came from weird spaces. It wasn't a smartphone right off the bat. Yeah, well, yeah, the smartphones existed for like ten years or so before. I mean, kind of PDAs and smartphones existed for quite a while before the iPhone came, and that was like a much later kind of like, oh, hey, this whole all these components actually work together now right. in a compelling way. Right. Yeah. Think about how long it takes something to go from enterprise tool or education tool to lifestyle tool. I, I'm not particularly worried well, that this is going to get stuck in some niche market. Well, it, it seems like right now Microsoft is in the right place and maybe Magic Leap isn't. Yeah, that might be true. I don't, I don't know. With the HoloLens, and this is like not confirmed. I heard they're not. They're actually moving away from the consumer space with their AR tech for a few generations of it, uh-huh. because it just doesn't work. Is that sexy? Well, yeah, not sexy. no one figured out how to do it yet. But isn't that isn't that always kind of the case? Isn't that that's that one what Marshall McLuhan or whatever the heck his name is? He was talking about how the first wave of technology always. Uh, follows what came before it like that's kind of where it's at right like ar is mimicking the smartphone and the computer and as soon as someone figures out what to do next like it's then then that's when it actually has real value you know the connect was the first version of the hololens really microsoft connect yeah but what goes inside the hololens now is basically a modified connect that's kind of cool what what does it actually do the projection with is like this little bar right here just blast light directly into your retinas. No, I think it, it, it uh, reflects light off of a transparent film. Because there's like a, it looks like it projects. Yeah, yeah. It projects and reflects into your eyes. Oh. Yeah. And, and, and then to your point, Christian, of like 
what are you don't know how people are actually going to use it in the future or what this actually means like i don't know i'm not too worried about that either because someone's going to figure something out and it's going to be really cool right like it's going to be uh maybe maybe everyone sees something different and like uh, half the people have Pokemon Go installed on their HoloLens, and half the people don't. So, like, half the people see these Pokemon ar- roaming around the world, and the other people don't. Like, uh, there doesn't have to be, like, total engagement. I think it just has to be a series of niche engagements that exist in the world for people to see. I want it to, to like, kind of fail, and then I want the equipment to be really cheap. Then I want, like, weird underground art scenes to steal the equipment <laughs> from laboratories. <laughs> and... They'll, make, they'll make, figure it out. Make good things out of the it. The lawnmower man will happen somehow. Yeah. Or maybe maybe you have all the... Like, what... Dumb use lawnmower man remind me of that. Like, what if you have all your Roombas, but all your Roombas have, like, a holographic person attached to them, so it looks like you have a maid in your house vacuuming. And that You're is an ultimate anti-burglary tool. Yeah. Okay. I want or, it to look like a real... Sh- I want it to look like a shark that just sort of floats on the ground <laughs> like that or something that doesn't belong on the ground <laughs> like a so, dead fish <laughs> flopping around your house well i think uh, where was i going i think so my last little rant on technology is i think what i see right now is a kind of huge kind of mythology around vr and ar uh-huh. and rather people get more excited about the mobile revolution because i don't think people have done enough with smartphones, GPS location, and the sensors that are ubiquitous now. Like, Pokemon Go came out, and that was hardly even engaging what you could do with AR. And I'm not even speaking what it did visually, but, like, tracking people in space. And it sort of shared. Like, that's a more exciting mirror world to me than what I can see when I put on a headset right now. And it feels like nobody is even touching it. Yeah. That might be true. That's also a scarier world where you get in all these privacy concerns, and that might not fly in today's environment. Oh, so the, the well, smartphone is thing, tainted right? by these by. media stories and this idea of surveillance. Yeah, I think it is. If yeah. you start to track people with GPS, I think that's definitely tainted in today's kind of media environment. Well, you just have to opt in, that's all. I want to just put a big smiley face on my smartphone, and suddenly those problems melt away. Yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> no, I, you're right. I think if we're going to get to the point of mirror world as described in this article or as described in any sort of mirror world, the other article that you sent me over email, uh, I yeah. I, if we're going to get to that point, you like, it's a requirement that we explore this GPS stuff, right? You can't not do that location tracking <laughs> sensors. You, it's like required. The politics have to be part of the politics that you're talking about. There have to be a part of whatever goes into the headset. Yeah, I would, I would think. Right. And also, like, the Air headsets are just cell phones with a different screen. It's just a really, really close cell phone. Yeah, with a clear screen. And that's that. the Google Cardboard is another good, like, you just shoved your phone in your face and look through. <laughs> it's like, that's all it is. You've got one that's in there. Oh, nice. It's true. I want, to live, I want to make the killer app for the Google Cardboard, and it only works for the Google Cardboard. <laughs> New kind of social media where um, you touch cardboards um, and somehow values exchanged. That would be great. Okay. Big. Oh, man. Wait, so are we getting into AI on the next one? We can. Yeah, yeah. We can. That article that we just talked about briefly before 
before we started this one. <laughs> yeah, we could do that. I'm interested in AI. I just bought Randy's super user book, so I'm sure there's some AI stuff in there too. Hashtag shout out. Hashtag shout out. No, I actually was, it was actually pretty interesting reading the Google review, so figured why not. Or the Google preview. But what is it specifically about? So is it tied to AI? No, it's tied to technology and architecture, or emerging technology and architecture and strategies, I think, that firms are using to empower people to explore that. Okay. Uh, I think the term super user is also kind of scary to me, because uh, I think that gets to the back to the discussion where like everyone has these new tools, and everyone feels like they're an architect. I also feel like I'm an architect. I shouldn't be. I'm not an architect yet. Not so entitled. I would be a, like I was thinking like if I just like never got employed, I would be a really good client because I know exactly what I want, right? And I might no, have, that's that's the client that no architect wants. Oh well, I would get what I want out. Then that, that makes me a super user, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's how I'm interpreting the title. It's uh, like who's who is the super user? Is it the architect or the client? So the one using the tools. The super user in this case is the guy who's like modifying Revit with Python code and creating his own, uh, creating his own program plugins for it. That's that's Randy's. The vendors, but super users of technology. The super users of technology. Though I can imagine that if you were to reinterpret the term super user, you would be a super user of architecture in right. general. That's a scary one. I mean, that's what we're talking about with Mirror World, right? Yeah, super. Well, we'd be super users of spatial experience that yeah. may or may not be architecture if they're not physical. Yeah. I had a wild discussion at I think a it's bar architecture. where I was, I was like, if I wanted to build the Villa Savoy in my backyard, who would stop me? Like, literally, if I just made counterfeits of famous buildings, <laughs> no one would stop me. And, like, that's literally, like, if I get an AR headset, guess what I'm doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like the cooler version of Minecraft. People to come. So that, that brings up a good point about augmented reality and, and placeness. It's like, if you wanted to charge people to come see your Ville Savoie, well, I'll in, in, your back, in your backyard. It's a 99 cent like, like, Could you charge them to come to your place? Or no, do, no, you, no, or do you charge them for the subscription? Yeah, there you go. It, it, uh, you know, Google has Poly, which I think is their SketchUp Warehouse 2.0, where people can either, I don't know if it's a selling marketplace, but it's just 3D information that people model. You can upload to Poly. Um, so I imagine, like, maybe in the future, if I go to the, uh, if I model the Villa Savoy with like, and I make all of the textures, and it's a one-to-one, -one really good recreation, I could sell that. Why, why do you even model it? Why don't you just go take good pictures of it? Because and like use that to build a 3D model. Well, you have an AR headset, you can put the model on your desk, or you can blow it up and go inside it. It's yours to use, you know. I mean, um, you could just use a really good 3D scanner and pictures to get the job done. No, no, I want a better version than the one in real life. Okay, there you go. Without the like, bad, fading white paint and like sediment buildup and weird gutters and no no I, I think i want the version that decays over time well you know that'll be an extra seven dollars my friend <laughs> this is how culture get ri gets rich 99 cents at a time then the occasional seven dollar investment right you committed see, I, to make a real more real version see i think i think people will smart up to this at, after a point and we'll end up with like the airbnb ar experiences where it's not just about the building because no one cares about Villa Savoy. Mm -hmm. Savoy. 
um, Joe Savoy and Savoy a little. Yeah. <laughs> Savoy and Savoy. But rather, rather you'll get the really weird version of it where people want to go to your your artificial version of Ville Savoy, except it's like on fire or something. And so, and cool. so like you you make like the actual fire. Yeah. But then the three D model of the building itself is just right. like. That really makes me think of the the Fun Palace, Cedric. Uh, oh Palace. yeah. There yeah, you go. This where is... you have in this sort of AR jungle gym, you have a sort of scaffold that can be reprogrammed, and then you like, you have like a DJ set, and it's like a special event, and someone like programs a decoration or ornament for it that goes over the framework. So you have these like really engaging AR environments, kind of like a silent disco where everyone's wearing a big dumb headset, but <laughs> you all see the music and hear right. the architecture. No, the so architecture is like music. Yeah, yeah. So the secret to Cedric Price was that you only needed to build the steel frame and the rest of the architecture didn't actually need to move. Yes. You yeah. just needed to, <laughs> just needed to cover with digital stuff. You have um, like VR and AR like arcades. I don't know what you call them. Um, like laser tag. A arcade. I think it's called the Void. <laughs> the Void is a, is a group where like you put on a backpack and you put on the AR headset and they have this gigantic like foam set that you enter when you put on the headset like you're in the mirror world and you have a gun and you're a ghostbuster and you shoot the ghosts uh, but you're there with your four friends or it's laser but your friends are actually the ghosts you're shooting real people that that very well could be yeah could be a bad time instead of a good one <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that would be i mean if we think about like new kinds of social spaces yeah i, I want to imagine like the ar the arcade comes back but it's an arcade. Uh, of arcade is that what you called it christian a arcade of arcade a arcade that's so dumb <laughs> well we have to start that business let me write that down is yeah. it ar with brackets uh just put brackets around every letter and then just put three spaces between each bracket yeah. i want it so big it's a space in itself <laughs> you can meander around the letters and the brackets Oh, so architect so of you. Have, you have B dash bracket AR bracket space Cade because you're also drinking. Uh, is that um, real? Wait, is that why is that why architects love brackets so much? That because if you put brackets, it creates a little room around a letter. I don't know. Probably that it's makes that makes the that makes the best sense. It's basically like you're drawing a floor plan in your word. And so if you're like a if you're like a Frank Gehry architect, you like parentheses. Oh, or geez. or or not the parentheses, the curly the curly brackets. Oh yeah, the squigglies. Yeah, yeah the squiggly brackets. <laughs> parentheses is more for like your I don't know who did circle houses. More for like your Zaha. Buckminster Fuller. Buckminster Fuller. Yeah, he's a parentheses guy. Maybe Robert Venturi. I think I think there's a series of architect-based emoticons that need to happen. Hmm. I think my firm in the future will have it'll create its own font with its own style of bracket. Ooh. And the other brackets, and yeah. then we'll also be on cufflinks. That's how I brand. Well, that... <laughs> like, architecture should be like something you put brackets around. Become <laughs> <laughs> <In> space. <laughs> All right. But it's only virtual brackets. Well, yeah, right? yeah, but so at least you... like architecture, like the the AR architecture is is only how you frame it. Wait, so, so in the future, would can you get, like, capital A architecture and capital A architecture? 
<laughs> now we're getting somewhere. And on that note, <laughs> the ARIA. So I, uh, one last thing, if I can inject before we're gonna stop, because it's kind of wait, 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 there's an incorrect one. N C A R B. Okay. So I, I saw this video recently, and it was on the design of this video game called Hitman. They create these like really elaborate environments. Hitman. 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 There's no brackets. <laughs> <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> okay. t- you're having too much fun, Christian. Well, um, this is going to be our most listened episode ever. I can I'm tell sure. you. I don't know. I don't know if anyone's going to make it this deep into the episode. Well, anyway, um, now that I'm free to talk. Um, they were comparing the design of a Hitman level uh, with the design of Ikea, which is a what they call a snail house, where like you basically have this like this linear path that like folds in on itself. Yeah. Um, and it forces you to like as you walk, you're basically forced into a form of circulation that shows you every aspect of the Ikea, so to speak. You see all the furniture. But then they have these shortcuts that cut from like one section of the Ikea to the next. Uh, and the video game also had this so that expert players would be able to get from one area to another quite easily. Um, and I think AR environments could be a bit like that, where you have kind of digital space folded in on itself or physical space, but then you have shortcuts. Yeah. So so I could go through like 50 different rooms within my studio apartment, but if I just wanted to get to the kitchen, I could do so easily. I yes. teach without going to the classroom studio. It depends on how much you're willing to sacrifice your students' quality of education. Oh. <laughs> but, I don't know. Ugh. Cool. All right, shall we stop this? I'll just warp over the TBH. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, Good cool. Good point. Good spot. Good spot. We got a full hour out of this one, but I'll edit it down a little bit, so probably, I don't know. Anyway, cool. To to Good chat. So, Good chat. Uh, I will save us all. AI. will kill us. One of those two. AI will become... Like our teddy bear. Hmm. That that's the next episode. All right, AI teddy bear. Heard yeah. it here first. Thanks for listening. See ya.